Hello and welcome to the Spidey Dude Radio Network. I'm Zach Joyner, owner of the website that powers the podcast and executive producer of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Spectacular Spider-Man Salby Sima Era Podcast. A podcast all about Sal's run on the Spectacular Spider-Man. Before I turn it over to our host, Chris, I wanted to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash Network. They help sponsor the show. Greg, Vinkman, Scott, Kaylee, and Phoenician, thank you all for your support. And if you want to get some more info, check it out at that aforementioned website at patreon.com slash network to get more perks, like getting some shows early. And we'll have more coming very, very soon. They'll get some exclusives very soon. Stay tuned for that. Finally, before I go, I want to encourage you to check out our other fine programs, Spidey Experience, ASM Classics, Make Mine Mayday, Vogan Rider Variety Hour, Clone Saga Chronicles, Spectacular Radio, and Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Be sure to leave feedback on the respective feeds, give us a five-star review, and leave feedback at uh, the email address at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this exciting episode of the show, and now, here's Chris. Welcome back to a normal episode of the Spectacular Style Basama Era podcast here on the Dorkity Network. We are covering the Spectacular Spider-Man issues that Sal Basama uh, drew. I am your host, Dr. Chris, and joining me from Screen Rant to uh, help me with this podcast is... Oh, hi, everybody. I'm Drew, and I'm just, as always, excited to be here. Hey, Chris. Hey, Drew. The uh, the Cosmic Spider-Man adventures are finally over, but I did have something I wanted to add to it that we didn't talk about in the last episode, which I did not have in a spectacular issue, in it, but it was two web issues and an amazing issue. I forgot to mention that there is a what if Spider-Man kept his cosmic powers. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, he um, the cover has him like fighting Venom, and he has to use his cosmic powers to, you know, he, he basically defeats all his villains... And then, um, in the end, he has to sacrifice his cosmic powers, which wipes out his Spider-Man abilities as well, to stop some omnipotent cosmic muckety-muck. Um, and, like, Mary Jane gives birth to a baby, and the baby's got, like, Captain Universe's eyes, and I'm like, okay, honestly, today, the multiverse of spider things, this could, this, this could easily have happened to Peter. <laughs> yeah, and one of the oddly realistic things that probably could happen, and maybe should, but we'll we'll go there another day. Right, and the last person, the last time I, the Cosmic Spider-Man appeared, uh, or at least the Cosmic Unipower, the, the Captain Universe power, excuse me, we had mentioned in previous episodes, but we didn't mention in the last episode, go pick up um, uh, the King in Black miniseries, which is in trade paperback now. Um, and you can see who acquires the Captain Universe power, because it's the only thing to defeat Null, the symbiote god. Which makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because Captain Universe is a god of light of some kind, mm-hmm. and Null is basically the king of black. Yes, true story. Yep, so uh, go read it and see what happens, and who is the new uh, bearer of Captain Universe. Which, uh, honestly, I'm not totally always on the up and up on every single little piece of Marveldom, but I don't believe we had seen Captain Universe uh, in quite a number of years. I think there was an Avenger, a female Avenger that may have been Captain Universe for a little while. Uh, that sounds 
vaguely familiar, but I... Yeah, I, it was when Marvel was publishing, like, three or four goddamn Avenger titles a month. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. Now it's just the one title, which, by the way, dear listeners, please go pick up Avengers number 750, uh, you know, also known as issue number 50. Whew! That was quite the issue that sets up a ton of stuff about to start happening. We And, and uh, go pick up Fantastic Four, because the Reckoning War is about to start happening over there. You know, currently mm-hmm. reading uh, issues of Spider-Man, Peter's still in the coma, and Ben is still running around as Spider-Man, and Aunt May and Doc Ock are about to hook up and bump uglies again. Oh, dear God. <laughs> uh, yeah. I... I still haven't brought myself to, to reading about Ben simply more because I don't know. I think I'm, I'm feeling the same way about Spider-Man than I am about Batman. I'm just like I'm kind of burned out at this point. Like I, I love what we're reading, but I feel like at just this point, I'm just like until there's really something new and exciting, that's going to really catch my attention. I'm like, I'm good. I'm yeah. Good. It feels like they're just doing a lot of the same stuff again. I mean, and Ben is popping up in other people's books. Of course, he's popping up in Miles' book. He's mm-hmm. got his Doctor Strange, Death of Doctor Strange one shot because Doctor Strange, you know, kind of put a uh, automatic little message out to the Marvel Universe. If he ever died, he picked like five or six heroes that he needs help from. And Spider-Man's always been a, um, I mean, obviously there's a movie coming out where Doctor Strange plays a heavy fucking role. <laughs> In the plot yes, line of that new movie. But yes, there's does. another reason why Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, two characters who are so polar opposite in the Marvel Universe, have such a huge connection because they're both created by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Yep. Yep. Not Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, but Steve Ditko yeah. and Stan Lee. So they're one of the, you know, a couple of the big characters of Marveldom uh, that were created by these two amazing creators. And Spider-Man and, and Doctor Strange have always had a very, you know, funny kind of relationship going back to Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number Two. Indeed. And yeah. by the way, it's relevant to what we're talking about today with Spectacular Spider-Man 161, uh, the return of the Hobgoblin. The Hobgoblin returns, or otherwise known as Pardoned, written by Jerry mm-hmm. Conway, pencils mm-hmm. by Al Basima, as well as inks and cover. Uh, colorist Bob Sharon, letterer Rick Parker, and editor Jim Scalrup. We yep. begin the issue with the parting of Joe Robinson by Stuart McPhee, whose brother, by the way, was the uh, guy uh, in prison that Joe befriended. Hence why he wanted to get him off. Mary Jane and Peter are so happy for Joe, and Peter uh, is so happy he's finally rid of his cosmic, uh, cosmic superpowers, and he goes to visit Mr. Fantastic, which he never did, by the way, during this event. I want to point out, there wasn't one time Peter went and visited Mr. Fantastic during his cosmic power hijinks. But I digress. Indeed. <laughs> um, the reason Spider-Man is visiting Mr. Fantastic is because of the carry-on virus from ten issues ago during the second clone, second or third clone saga, depending on which ones you're counting. And mm-hmm. Spider-Man uh, finds out that the uh, carry-on virus is some type of new, unique thing um, and he didn't want to reveal uh, Malcolm McBride's identity to uh, Mr. Fantastic. Uh, at the evening's 20-themed jazzy bar, Hobgoblin comes in looking for Hammerhead, and Hammerhead wants a contract out on Joe Robertson. This unfortunately upsets Tombstone. Later on at the Robertson household, Joe is having a party celebrating his newfound freedom when the Hobgoblin uh, is uh, approaching, as Hobgoblin is approaching Joe Robertson's party, uh, Thomas Fireheart announces that he wants Joe Robinson for a brand new position. 
Hobgoblin interrupts Joe making out with his wife in their celebration, and Puma, uh, Thomas Fireheart turns into Puma just in time for Spider-Man to arrive and help defeat the Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin winces away after getting a shot at twice, and we find out the person who saved Joe Robertson's life is in fact Tombstone, who wants to kill Robbie himself one day, and he, of course, never does. <laughs> yes, of course. What did so, you think of the uh, of the cover, Drew? I thought, again, I, I loved it. I thought it was a nice hearkening back to the Inferno uh, um, storyline where we saw Hobgoblin make that literal deal with the devil and, of course, get screwed over. Um, I, I honestly, I very much enjoy when I see these horror elements in Spider-Man comics because... Again, you don't really think of him as a scary, like a character who deals a lot of horror. I mean, but then when you really think about it, a lot of his characters or or a lot of his villains were accidents. You know, they were, you know, and they're, I mean, it may seem normal to somebody in the, the Marvel universe. But I mean, I'm sorry if I saw someone who had these kind of powers just regularly in my eye, that'd be pretty scary considering um and then the hobgoblin he looks like a demon he's more powerful now he's he's a legitimate threat um right. i think and, and, and real quick did you do you know what the side note was regarding doctor strange issue number 11 did he um no i didn't actually i was going to ask you about that what was if there what was the context there okay so um during the Acts of Vengeance, Hobgoblin got uh, Doctor Strange as his hero to try and kill. And at the end of the mm-hmm. story, Doctor Strange uh, wanted to help Hobgoblin uh, because he was so distraught over the fact that his uh, gorgeous good looks had been taken away from him and turned into this demon. He made right. it so only Hobgoblin sees himself as a human. Everyone else still sees him as his demonic form. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um... The uh, this would continue through the rest of the appearances of the Hobgoblin. We got two more issues of this uh, three-part storyline to get to, so I don't want to get too much into it until the, in the end of the third part because we'll talk about where right. Hobgoblin goes next. Because I don't think he appears again in spectacular, mm-hmm. probably for for the rest of the run. But we'll get into right. what happens to him after the third issue. Anyway, I do love the first page is. A lot of legal dialogue. Pardon, just like in the beginning of issue 151, or one mm-hmm. issue 150 was guilty. Right, right. It was a nice little, um, it was a nice, is that an homage or a reference? Or I, I'm not sure the terminology, but yeah, I, I caught that. Um, I think for me, I thought it was funny because Hobgoblin goes to this club and everybody's very, and I just thought about how, it, like, you know, the beginning of 2020, when everybody was like, oh, hey, let's have a great Gatsby party. You know, it's the roaring 20s. It's going to be a, a period of success and everything. And I was like, yeah, I'll have to say that. Well, yeah, it's I'll because be- of the way uh, who Hammerhead is. Uh, when he became Hammerhead, all he remembers is, like, 50s-style gangster films. But don't forget, when Hammerhead was created, the 50s were not that far away. <laughs> Yeah. Now this is 1990s. The 50s were 30 years ago. But when he was first created, the 50s were, what, 10, 11 years ago, 15 years mm-hmm. ago. <laughs> yeah, wasn't wasn't too crazy. But um, yeah, no, it was. And it, for me, also, I mean, I, 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 uh, I mean, 
I always thought the whole thing was ridiculous. The whole Robbie getting going to jail and whatnot. I was like, Ugh. you know, I thought I thought the logic was a little thin, but I, you know, again, you go along with it because it's comic books. So you got to suspend that uh, disbelief. But now it's official, and I also thought that this is the most royal fuck you to Jay Jonah that Thomas Fireheart did. Like, just as Jonah's about to ask Robbie to be part of his newspaper, Fireheart comes in and just makes clearly the bigger, better offer. And Jonah's like, he's going to take it. I, I would take it. Like, but what the, what the hell? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, like I said, Peter, uh, Spider-Man visiting Mr. Fantastic is funny considering he didn't do that with the cosmic powers, but he did do that previously with the, uh, black symbiote. My, yeah. my only thought, this is my thought about why I don't remember exactly what was going on in the, uh, Fantastic Four title at the time. Um, they're in Four Freedom Plaza, by the way, not the Baxter building. The Baxter building was destroyed by, um, Victor Von Doom's, um, Kid, uh, his apprentice, whatever that kid, that kid's name, Christoph Von Doom. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so he is. Uh, they're in the Four Freedom Plaza, which they would remain in uh, until Onslaught uh, comes around. By the way. Um, oh. Okay. Which, by the way, the Four Freedom Plaza building would be destroyed. Well, sorry, the top of the building would be destroyed during the Infinity War storyline, and mm-hmm. would never get repaired for like ever it would just remain like the top part of the four would just be blown away until mm. the thunderbolts moved in led by baron zemo oh wow yeah anyway long story short but uh i believe mm-hmm. at the time of the acts of vengeance now that i'm remembering the thing was leading the fantastic four with um johnny um uh, not medusa what's medusa's cousin's name that johnny used to date well crystal crystal and uh, Shara Ventru, who was the female thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think, and then, and then, and then shortly thereafter, Mr. Fantastic and, and the Invisible Woman returned because they were trying okay. to get uh, Franklin away from that lifestyle. Of course, that doesn't really work anymore now that he's like a teenager, finally. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hobgoblin's head scared me as a kid. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like, and it's complicated because I feel like Hobgoblin is a bit more terrifying than the Green Goblin, but I just think again Norman just has that that stranglehold, that presence in Peter's life. Like I mean, don't get me wrong, Hobgoblin is a threat, but he's he's nothing compared to the threat the Green Goblin has become throughout Spider-Man's career. Right. And and it, it's funny because. Before I really got into the comics, I remember watching like the '90s show, and you know Mark Hamill voiced the Hobgoblin. And again, once you've heard Mark Hamill's voice, you can always pick it out. Um, I don't remember who did the Green Goblin, but I just remember that voice. And ever since, like, well, one, I can imagine, like, it, it was very iconically creepy. But ever since I like read a Hobgoblin comic, I always kind of hear that in the back of my mind, and it's still like, you know, it's just at that iconic feel, like this is not just some villain, you know, this is evil. This is something that's transcended a costume and, and making money and killing Spider-Man for his rep. This is this is personal. This is a vendetta. This isn't just about... This. It's kind of... 
the Green Goblin, in my mind, has always kind of been like the Joker to Spider-Man's Batman. Right. You know? Right. So, which, it's just funny, because there's so many other Spider-Man villains, but I feel like Green Goblin always had that personal. But, um, but Hobgoblin... Yeah. I, I, I do like that um, when, uh, of course, Peter is not at the party yet. That's that's why he's not there. It took me a little while to go, wait a minute, Peter's not here. I forgot. Uh, mm-hmm. Mary Jane whispers to Thomas Fireheart that, hey, I know who you are. You know who Peter is. Let's, like, you know, people are going to get hurt. Peter's not here yet. Go do your Puma thing. Um, <laughs> if yeah. I remember correctly, I am almost positive that Mary Jane met Puma when they when Peter and her were on their honeymoon. Back when they I were think, married before Mephisto's knockety muck. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think so. I think that's right. Yeah. So I'm so, always wondering is that story still canon? Considering they never got married, they still have gone on a honeymoon? I mean, it's a very self contained story, but I always found it very fun because Mary Jane's hanging out with her girlfriends, and Thomas Fireheart is trying to get Peter to go be Spider Man and do like favors and errands for him. And mm-hmm. Peter's like, Jesus Christ, I married this smoking hot supermodel who lives this like you know, fabulous lifestyle, and all I do is take pictures for a newspaper. But I can't, you know, but of course I'm also Spider-Man, but nobody can know that. And, and I feel like I, I'm so out of my element. And at the end of the story, like, because because Mary Jane's girlfriends are asking, what the hell do you see in this guy? I just don't get it. You could be dating athletes and, and actors, and you're dating the photojournalist for a deal for a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the story, he finally tells Fireheart off because he's tired of his bullshit. And he got Fireheart what he needed, but the costume was a mess. The webbing Fireheart made for him was a mess or whatever. It nearly got him killed. And he tells mm-hmm. Fireheart off or whatever. And I guess whatever club they're in, Fireheart's pretty well known as being, you know, the billionaire that he is. And the girlfriends of Mary Jane's are all screaming, going, Woo, as a man, he's standing up for himself and telling that billionaire off and so on and so forth. And Mary Jane's just like cuddling up to Peter as Fireheart's like realizing, yeah, he made a mistake and, you know, pushed Peter too far. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's very very funny, but I, I swear I think that's the the first time that Mary Jane and Puma met, but I might be wrong. Um, this is not the first time somebody's trying to kill Robbie. Tombstones try to kill Robbie. The Kingpins try to kill Robbie. Carnage try to kill Robbie one time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so funny because this whole time, like I like, and I I got to give credit to Conway and Basima because honestly, with that silhouette, I thought it was the freaking Punisher. Um, that was, you know, like making these expert shots and whatnot. And I was just like, oh, God, that's the last thing you need. Um, and at the end, when it was revealed to be Tombstone, I was like, wow, what a twist. But it, again, it makes sense because, you know, Tombstone has always had that vendetta, that animosity with Robinson. I mean, that in some way, even though he, like you said, he hasn't killed him yet, that's still continuing today because the last I remember isn't. Robbie's kid dating Tombstone's daughter? They were... I think they broke up. I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, but but you remember, like, when it was revealed, like, both of them were like, no. Like, in the beginning. And then eventually they were like, eh, they're they're kids. Oh, whatever. Uh, I love the fact that Spider-Man webs the Hobgoblin and spins him around like he's a toy. Yeah, that that was was pretty... (laughs) I was like, yeah, aren't you? Like, I was like, wow. Like, I would be pissed. Spider-Man is strong. He can lift up to 10 tons. I'm sure Hobgoblin doesn't weigh more than probably at least a couple hundred pounds of muscle. 
and, and it's also funny, uh, just piggybacking on something you said, when, when they're talking about the carrion virus, because um, I seem to recall that that was a thing in the clone conspiracy. That came up again with carrion and whatnot, because that was tied into, I think, Kane, like... Like the, the the whole thing. I don't I don't know if you got to read right, that. Right. Yeah. And and then it can't. Yeah. The the carry on virus gets unleashed by Parker Industries Parker Industries or whatever the hell Peter's company was called. Uh, right. Because Ben Riley, who is currently Spider Man, that like Ben Riley went nuts because the Jackal killed like scooped up his uh app like okay Peter <laughs> Ben dies. And is dissolved, and and Peter leaves his like dissolved corpse on the roof in 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 the Dan Slott story. The jackal comes along; it's revealed to still be alive, which we found out you know a while back that he didn't die. The jackal mm-hmm. that was in the Clone Saga of the '90s wasn't really the jackal; it was it was it was somebody else. Yep. Anyway, long story short, he scoops up the remains and clones and kills and clones and kills and clones and kills Ben Riley over and over and over again. Oh, like Doomsday, by the way, from Superman, because that's how Doomsday mm-hmm. became as powerful as he was. He's just cloned over and over and over again. Yep. Um, basically, to, to to be the, per, the the perfect being, you know, he can't be killed. <laughs> Big gray turd of a monster. Anyway, in the revelations, and I have it right here. Uh, hold on, I'm pulling it right out. I, I'm talking about it. I completely forgot. I have the trade paperback. For Revelations. The reason why I bought the trade paperback for Revelations um, was, uh, and I got it wicked cheap too, so it's not like it cost me anything. At the end of the story, Ben dissolves, and it looks like Peter just goes running to the hospital bed of Mary Jane where they lose the baby. Then mm-hmm. Epilogue 1 happened, is, is the funeral for Ben Riley. Epilogue 2 is Peter scattering the um, ashes of Ben away. Did the jackal swap off, swap out the ashes with some other ashes in the clothes? Because it was just regular ashes. Peter probably wasn't going to bother to do a DNA test to make sure somebody didn't mess with it. Yep. Okay. Because, it, it, by the way, this epilogue is only in the trade paperback, by the way. And it also explains how the fuck did Norman Osborn survive the end of the story. Because he is like... <laughs> He is, like, blown up in a thousand pumpkin bombs that Peter throws on him. Peter intentionally tries to kill Norman Osborn, and mm-hmm. he survives. But th- in the context of the continuity, when we see Norman Osborn again, he is healthy and fresh, and there's no fucking explanation of how the hell he came back after what we saw happen to him in Spider-Man number 75. Comics. And the trade paperback, they finally explain it. I know. Just okay. comic. Yeah. So Ben died during Spider-Verse 2, the comic book, not the movie coming out next year, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess came back again and is a better person than he was when he was the evil Ben Riley Scarlet Spider. Yep. Isn't it great? Uh, <laughs> no, because I really wish Dan Slott had never done that ever and they had just brought Ben back as a tool for the Jackal once again, and then he just he became a good guy again because Peter snapped him out of it or something. That would have been so much better than Ben doing whatever the fuck he did in Clone Conspiracy. I'm sorry. Hey, listen, I, I, you know, you, me, me, and you agree on a lot, but you know, I, 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 I've, I like certain things that Dan Slott's writing. I know you don't, and you know, we, we, we can agree to disagree. 
But Dan Slott is setting up his uh, big storyline right now that he started 15 years ago. Can you believe that? The Reckoning War that's about to start was started 15 years ago in an issue of She-Hulk. I can believe that because I have read his She-Hulk, which I did enjoy. I will. I will. Anyone listening, please, if you really enjoy some good humor, She-Hulk, I recommend his work. It it actually pretty much holds up, and there's a lot of good humor in it. Um. But I can believe that. I mean, I've, I've read that two years ago, the whole thing, and I enjoyed it, but I, mean, I don't remember everything, but it was pretty good from what I remember. So the Reckoning War is uh, basically what, like, the Watcher says uh, once he burps himself out of Nick Fury's eyeball socket? Yeah, I remember. Okay, so, and then um, in Fantastic Four number 25, which I haven't read yet, um, Nick Fury is reborn in his... Um, you know, slightly gray mm-hmm. temple uh, body, with, but missing his eyes. Oh, yeah. So he is now the avatar of the Watcher and back in his original Nick Fury look and, you know, body and stuff. So mm-hmm. that will be interesting. Um, anyway, the ending to the comic book that we're talking about, because we've got no attention on clones, and clones are going to be really a topic coming up because the carry on. Uh, maybe we'll get Zach back on here to talk about uh, carry on as well, because I know he's a big fan of it. Uh, Thomas Fireheart mm-hmm. tells Peter that he doesn't have, uh, they're not, the death's not clear as the Hobgoblins goes away and uh, Tombstone's in the shadows being like, nobody kills Joe Robinson except for me. This is my friend. I got no other friends. Go, I got to kill the ones I have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. True, true villains, you know? Can't, can't uh, live with their enemies, can't live with them. So they also point out in the bullpen bulletins uh, that the uh, it, hopefully everyone checked out the Macy's Day Parade. So the, by the way, the cover date is in February, but they're talking about the Macy's Day Parade in the bullpen. Oh my god! Wow, that's 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 too funny. That is too funny. They also list, by the way, all of the Acts of Vengeance titles to read um, in the bullpens, if you miss any, so you can go to your local comic book shop to hunt down them in the back issues. <laughs> Too many. Too yeah. many. Um, yeah. they list ones here we didn't even cover, like Damage Control 2, number 3, and Quasar, number 6. I didn't read those. Nope. God, no. Um, but it's it just, again, sometimes, like, I, I understand Marvel, you want to tie in things and whatnot, but sometimes just just uh, certain characters should just stay within their own universe. You know, tying them into things like if you make it pertinent to the story of the character, there's one thing I just feel like Marvel, Marvel and DC, they just have this habit of just making these tie-ins that absolutely do nothing for the character or the story of the character. It's just like, Oh, Hey, look at this little thing. And I'm like, okay, why do we care? It's right. Just, well, I mean, Spider-Man, I think, is the only character in the Acts of Vengeance to have any long-standing ramifications because of the uh, cosmic Spider-Man powers. Absolutely. If they that's, constantly reference the story. Otherwise, I mean, I read a lot of Avengers stuff and Captain America stuff, but other than, like, the Red Skull getting bricked up in the wall and Crossbones having to save him, there was nothing that came out of Acts of Vengeance other than cosmic Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, other than cosmic Spider-Man and just Loki is a sore loser. That's basically it. Right. The um, the letters pages have some interesting uh, letters in here. I'm going to read the fastest one in here. The best issue in the history of Spider-Man was Spectacular Spider-Man 158. Keep up the fantastic... Oops, wrong comic. I meant spectacular work, guys. <laughs> wow. They don't even respond to that, which is kind of funny. They respond to two other letters, but they don't respond to that one, which is funny. Well, sometimes I feel like it's just like, it was like no, it's just too dumb of a mistake. 
You know, like, wow. Like they, they, even then, that humor is just cringy. And somebody asks, can you please have the black costume return? So this is, by the way, February 1990. I think we're just a few months away from the launch of Tom McFarlane's Spider-Man number one. And a year mm-hmm. later from that, in 1991, they would bring back the black costume uh, in the two-part uh, story with uh, Morbius munching on homeless people. Oh, yeah. Morbius, everybody, coming to theaters soon. Yes, definitely coming to theaters. Not coming to this comic book anytime soon, so we won't be covering it. But uh, nope. we are on uh, this Hobgoblin story for the next few weeks, one issue at a time. Thank you for joining me, Drew, for uh, issue 161. Mm-hmm. Always good, Chris. Thank you so much always for having And everybody keep up because got to tell you, this, these next two issues, if you're a big Hobgoblin fan, like some of our, our people we work with are, you're going to love this. By the way, I wanted to point out at the top of the issue, uh, uh, the front cover, we have uh, little square boxes for Nick, Nick Katzenberg, J. Jonah Jameson, Hammerhead, Tombstone, Robbie, Mr. Fantastic, and Mary Jane. I, mm-hmm. I wonder why they did that. Is it just to show us that those characters are in the book? It's yeah, it's probably. Mr. Fantastic gets his, you know, a, a bubble. He does. He he kind of already has his own comic book. Yeah, it, it's just. I think it's just like, oh, it's like these characters are in there too. Like more incentive, and it's like, right. okay, why do we care? And I I am flipping ahead to the other issues, and they do, um, they do. Uh, they do make appearance. They do. No, no, no. They they continue that for several months. Um. So, by the way, um, we run into another annual, and I don't know if we're going to cover it or not, because it's not a South Asema era podcast uh, issue, but it's part of the uh, Microverse Spider-Man story where he gets shrunk down to Adam Man, the Adam size, and gets transported to the Microverse and has to fight the uh, Psycho Man. I mean, if we feel like we need some filler, sure, but I mean, it doesn't sound like it's... No, I mean, it's written by Jerry Conway, but other than that, it, by the way, it crosses over with the other annuals, because this is when Marvel was doing crossover annuals. Uh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Not, by the way, multiverse, uh, sorry, multi, you know, book, you know, like, like uh, not not like the Acts of Vengeance, but this is basically they're crossing over with other titles that are families of mm-hmm. these titles. So Avengers and Fantastic Four and West Coast Avengers did a crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was, by the way, the Days of Future Past or Future Present storyline that introduced the character called Ahab. Yeah, that sounds familiar. The mutant hunter who uh, re- resurfaced over in X-Force a couple years ago. But I digress, mm-hmm. getting on a tangent. I don't think we're going to cover it just because it's not really relevant. But it's worth checking out if you want to read all three of these issues. And a lot of these Marvel little mini crossovers they did with other books were a lot of fun, I thought. Absolutely. Drew, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram sometimes, Ghostbusterman1984. Um, I'm on The Dorkening. I do this show with uh, with Dr. Chris. I'm trying to get back to regularly writing with Screen Rant. I'm working with Chris on, on any of his projects that he wants to include me in. I'm generally tired. If I have the energy if you to respond to any of you who message me, well, that'll be cool. Awesome. At some point, Hammer Horror will return. I don't know what the status is with that, so we will have to wait and see. Um, Mm -hmm. I also do a uh, podcast, which is going to be going monthly soon instead of bi-weekly. Goth Girl Horror, the Hackslash podcast, is going to have a huge episode coming up soon with both the writer and the artist of Hackslash Army of Darkness crossover miniseries. We'll have both... uh, Dan Leister, the artist, and Tim Seeley, the writer, on the show uh, for that six-part 
six issue coverage. I finally read it and it was great. Yep. So me, Dan, and uh, Dan and Tim will all be covering that issue series. As I unfortunately lost my co-host due to uh, personal life reasons, but we are still very close friends. So that is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back in a week or two with issue 162 of The Return of the Hobgoblin and Carry On here on the Spectacular Style Bustema Era podcast. Indeed. Be safe, everyone. <laughs>